Hey listeners, in today's episode, we're sharing a conversation with the highly respected family law expert, author, and entrepreneur, Laura Wasser. Most people know Laura as the divorce attorney for the stars. For over 20 years, she's represented just about every A-list celebrity from Kim Kardashian and Stevie Wonder to Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp. Laura is also the founder and CEO of It's Over Easy, an online service that basically makes divorce a hell of a lot less stressful because, as she says, divorce terrifies everyone. Her mission is to empower couples to reclaim control over their own destinies. She's been named one of the California Daily Journal's top 100 lawyers and Southern California's top 50 women attorneys every year for the last seven years. Laura is the author of How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself and the host of All's Fair with Laura Wasser, a podcast on iHeartRadio. Laura recorded this session in front of a live audience at Girl Boss Rally. She shares important advice on how anybody can negotiate like a lawyer, whether it's in the workplace or in relationships. Enjoy this conversation. JFK said, let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. And it is true that sometimes as women, we have a harder time asking for things that we want. So when Sophia asked me to come speak today about negotiating, I might have missed the as a lawyer part. I'll give you that anyway, because that just comes naturally to me, because I've been practicing law for almost 25 years now. But I think that you will find when you really put it all in perspective and back up a little bit from how do I ask for more money? How do I ask for more equity? How do I ask for a bigger office? Back it up from there. Let's, let's start with the presumption that every relationship, every relationship is a bargain for exchange. And that might sound really cold and jaded, but it's true. And even with loved ones, people say, oh, I love you unconditionally. There's always conditions, with it, whether it's with your parents or your spouses or your kids. Um, somebody should give a workshop on how to negotiate like a really good parent because that's another thing. And, and again, you have to know your audience, okay? You have to know who you're talking to. So we'll speak mostly today about in the business sector, but I am a family law attorney, which means I basically am a divorce attorney. And so most of the negotiating that I do is as an advocate for somebody else. And whether it's a wife or a husband, it's figuring out how to get that person, my client, whatever the best deal is. If that has to do with child custody and how often and where and, and the hours that they have their children, whether it has to do with how much of the estate that they walk away with, and whether it has to do with the support that they're either paying and for the children or to their spouse or receiving. So it's sometimes easier to negotiate on behalf of somebody else. It certainly keeps things a little bit less personal. But then, of course, throughout the years, I've had to negotiate for myself as well, not only in the arena of child support and child custody, because I've been through that with two different dads of my wonderful young sons, but also with employers and with partners and with venture capitalists, because I started my own company um, earlier this year called It's Over Easy, and we have eggs for you guys, because sometimes if you're in a negotiation, it's nice to be able to hang on to something and just squeeze it. So these are stress eggs. In any event, um, and we'll, we'll give those to you later just so that you have a little takeaway. The thing I find that is probably the most important is knowing your audience. Who is it that you are talking to? Who, with whom are you negotiating? And generally, you will know what you want, but you won't always know what they want. 
simple ones are, I'm in this job and I want more money. I should be getting paid more, that's the right amount, whatever. You need to think about what they want. They don't just want to pay you as little as possible. That's not how it works. That's a big factor, but they also want a happy employee uh, or partner. They want somebody that's going to be, that they're going to be able to get the most out of. So you sometimes have to think about what it is, who you're talking to, knowing your audience. <laughs> I see Lainey out there, my nanny, taking notes. This is not for you. <laughs> <laughs> She just tells me what to do and I do it. <laughs> But in any event, though, so knowing what the other person wants is a really, really important component, and then being able to walk into the negotiation, being able to right off the bat say, I'm a, I understand where you're coming from. Now, here's where I'm coming from, and you need to understand that. We'll talk about that more in a second. One thing that I have found to not be particularly helpful when I've been dealing with employees or when I was an employee is personal personal, personal tea. You don't want to take things too personally. And by the way, your boss doesn't care about the fact that your mortgage rates went up or that your kids are in daycare. You know that, and they may know you have kids. Putting that out there for them is unhelpful, I feel. And so you want to really talk about why you're entitled to more income. And if you're going for that, then you tell them all the great things about you. You can intimate that maybe there's other people that would be interested in hiring you for the same position and pay you more money. But you also have to give them something to look forward to, which is, here's what you're going to get when you pay me what I'm worth. I'm really, really going to be motivated to do well. I'm going to give you more than you even ever expected. I already am, and I'm going to be more motivated to grow with this company or this partnership or whatever it is. And again, I think it's really important to know who you're talking to, what's important to them, what are they thinking about. Um, as women, and again, this could go for anybody, but as women, sometimes we learn our negotiating techniques from watching other people. And if we haven't had great mentors, then sometimes we're learning from people that may not have a style that works for us. She or he who yells the loudest isn't always the one that gets heard. And a very wise woman once said to me, you know, when you speak softly, They lean in to listen. So sometimes for us, it doesn't work to pound on the table or pound on our chest and yell. I've seen a lot of young women uh, in the courtroom or at the conference room table start throwing profanities around. If it works for you, that's great. Sometimes it's a turnoff. And again, it's a turnoff when men do it as well. But particularly as women, don't emulate a style of somebody that doesn't fit you. What works for you? Experiment a little bit. Practice a little bit. Don't go straight into the negotiation cold. Talk to somebody else. Role play. It's totally fine if you have a friend or a relative or a significant other and you say, let's, let's figure out this. You say, this is what I want. Now, what does my boss say back to me? And they throw some things at you so that you know what to answer and how to answer in any kind of a situation. Find your voice and really be true to it. Again, it's not an ego thing. Yes. People want to be paid, compensated for what they're worth. And sometimes you aren't worth that much yet. You will get there. Promise them something for that. Explain to them you want to grow with this company. This is something, if I feel good, I'm going to make everybody that works below me feel good. It is a very big picture. Another thing that I've heard several times is, don't take it all right now. Leave some stuff on the table. Give some room for growth. Give some room so that in six to 12 months, you can come back and say, A, see? See how well that worked out? And B, 
Are you ready for another round of negotiations? And you have to know, know your audience. If six months is too short for that company or employer or whoever it is, pull back and wait a little bit. Really, really be observant. Uh, somebody once said that you have to observe everything during the course of a negotiation. You have to be Sherlock Holmes and Sigmund Freud. Get in the other person's head. Was it, what is it that is important to them? And also, do a little research before you go in there. Figure out what other people in your field are being paid. That's what I would do every single year when I was a young attorney. I would find out what the other, whether it was first year, seventh year, associates were being paid. I would do a graph. I'd figure out Now, if you go in and say all other first-year associates are being paid X and the, all the other first-year associates are working for the big corporate firms, that's not going to work. So you have to figure out what's being paid at the boutique firms. Tailor your negotiation skills to you and then know your facts and be able to present them when you're speaking to the other person. Now, what happens if you can't even get in the room? What happens if nobody wants to talk to you and they don't want to negotiate? How does that work? Again, as an attorney, I find a lot of things help when they're in writing. And this goes for anything. Landlord-tenant negotiations. Put it in writing. You can always refer back to it. If you're putting it in writing, that creates a record that you're always going to be able to see. That cuts both ways. If you put in writing, hey, you fucking asshole, I can't believe that you parked in my spot again, they're going to be able to pull that up. But if you put in writing, hey, I wanted to address you and let you know that this is what I'm asking for. You've got a date right on there. I asked you for that on April 28th, Mr. So-and-so. I'm now following up again on May 28th, and I'd really like to have a conversation with you. If you create a record, somebody at some point is going to go, this woman's creating a record here. I better give her some time to sit down and come in and speak with me. I think that Also, and again, I'm generalizing, but I have found after speaking with many women's groups that this is something that happens often with women. We're very uncomfortable with silences. We want to keep talking and every, keep the ball rolling. Everybody's comfortable. Yes, we smile and isn't it good? It's okay to be quiet for a second. I've heard reporters tell me this too. Uncomfortable silences are often what reaps the benefits of either a great story or fact coming forward or a great counter-argument or fold on the other person's part. So sit there. It's really uncomfortable. Do something else in your head. Count to 10. Think of a funny video you saw, whatever it is. Sit there, be at peace with it, and let the other person be a little bit uncomfortable for a second. They're just as uncomfortable as you are. In fact, if they're telling you no or low, then they're probably more uncomfortable than you are. So sit there and wait. You are entitled to an answer. You are entitled to an explanation. Let's hear what he or she has to say about what it is that you're requesting. When I was in law school, one of the first things we learned, and then when I watch law shows, I see this too, is that there's consideration. And there was an example, anybody that's gone to law school and is old like me, the example is the peppercorn example, okay? That's the consideration. What are you getting in exchange? And they'd say, even if it's just a peppercorn, meaning nothing, like a little pepper, they would say a penny or a nickel sometimes, there always has to be something that's given back. So think about that. That's why I started with every relationship is a bargain for exchange. If you are going in and asking for more money, what is it that you are going to be giving to them? Why are they paying you more? Most people don't want to pay you more just because you've been there. They can find somebody else. In fact, sometimes it all gets old. I've had one woman say to me, oh, I hire a new housekeeper every two years because they're not trying to please me anymore after a certain period of time. Loyalty counts for something. But what also is very, very important is what are you going to do for them if you want something? You already have a job. So as the employer, because now I can see both sides of it, 
as the employer, I'm thinking, you have it pretty good here. I'm nice to work for. We pay you a lot of money. I've done the research. We pay first-year associates more than anybody else in the family law field. What is it that, you're, that I'm going to get for paying you more money rather than just hiring another first-year associate who's going to be so eager to please? So what is it? Tell me. Tell me what kind of networking you're doing. Tell me what kind of article writing you're doing. Give me, because I may not pay, be paying close enough attention, the list of the things that you have done over the past six months in terms of your courtroom experience or your corporate experience or whatever it is. Come in armed with facts. If nothing else, they will be very impressed at the prep work that you've done. And if they don't have an answer that is acceptable to you, ask why. Why is that? Okay, now it's their turn. They have to think about it for a second. Is it because I'm cheap? Is it because we don't have it in the budget right now? Is it because I want to promote another employee above you? I think you're entitled to their honesty. I'm not completely sure. They might say, I don't have to give you my reasons why. I'm just not willing to do that. That will shape your negotiations in the next round and your relationship. It's good to know. For me, I would want to have an employer who was being honest with me, who said, you know what, we don't have that money right now, but when I get it, I'm going to remember that we had this conversation. Two weeks later, she or he promotes somebody else, I'm going to remember that, and so are they. I also think that if we are doing some kind of a negotiation that takes a longer period of time, you're not sitting in a room with somebody having a negotiation, maybe it's somebody that's going to offer you a job and you're waiting to hear back from them, as I said before, patience, wait it out. Sometimes we're so eager for instant gratification, particularly in this society of Insta and social media and immediate results. Remember the days when you had to wait to get a letter for a long period of time? Wait it out, see what they say. Show your patience, show you've got other things going on. And again, these negotiation tactics really do expand to everything. Lainey can tell you that I have to negotiate with my 13-year-old who's having a bar mitzvah next weekend. Will you please study for your bar mitzvah? It's going to be very embarrassing when 250 of our closest friends are in Malibu on the beach and you can't recite your Torah portion. I'll take the phone until you've done that. Give and take. Uh, significant others. It's very, very important, and again, this comes up all the time in my practice, that you are able to provide something in exchange for what you're asking for from an interpersonal relationship, whether it be a friend or a romantic relationship. I really need some time as I get home every afternoon so that I can unwind, have a glass of wine, whatever it is. How about if you do the dishes before I get there? All right, what are you going to give me in exchange? A lot of this comes back to communication. And in my job, for better or for worse, a lot of the times when they get to me, they're not quite ready to get divorced. We've put marriages back together. Communication, very important to speak. We're entitled to speak to employers, relationships, children. The better you are at honing your communication skills, the better you will have outcomes in terms of your interpersonal relationships, whatever they may be. My mom was diagnosed a couple months ago with pancreatic cancer, stage four. We're very, very close. We are having a very difficult time communicating right now because she's going through something. God, it got really quiet in here. <laughs> We're dealing with it. But again, we are figuring out the best way because our relationship has changed in terms of writing things down, a lot of texting going on that never went on before because sometimes it's hard to talk, emotions run high, I've had to figure out what works best for me when dealing with my mom because she doesn't want to wear a wig. That bothers me. 
It's irrational, I know, but she doesn't look good without a wig and she shaved her head. That's not for me to decide, but now I realize it's better if I text her because when I'm on the phone with her, she can sense I'm irritated. Sit with yourself for a minute and figure out what works best for you in terms of communication with whomever it is that you're negotiating. Take a breath. I can't talk to my 13-year-old when he is on his phone, which he always is. So I take the phone away. Now I'm holding the phone and we're having a conversation. It's hard to have a conversation with my mom when I know she's sick and she's being stubborn. Better maybe to put it in writing. My partners at the firm are taking many more vacations than they used to take. They are all older than me. I'm figuring out a way of dealing with that, but I put in writing. Hope you're enjoying your vacation on April 28th. When will you be back? Would like to have a firm meeting to talk about these things. Can always go search the subject line vacation and I can see exactly how many vacations they took so far in 2018. Spend a minute thinking about what will best help you communicate because that is going to be your first step in terms of what will best help you negotiate. The other thing is, as you line up your facts, I, I, my initials are law, Laura Allison Wasser. I probably was destined to be an attorney. Um, it may not have turned out that way, but it happened that it did turn out that way. I was conceived the night that my father found out that he passed the bar exam. So I was going to be named Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, I was a celebratory, you know, exchange. So <laughs> what I always wonder is if I was named Rebecca, would it still have been Allison Wasser? And then my initials would have been raw, which I would either have to be a sushi chef or a porn star. So it actually worked out well that I became an attorney. But I did fight it for a long time. My parents will often say to me, you would come in with a little legal pad like this with all of your things listed for why you wanted more allowance or why you wanted to stay out later or why you wanted to buy a, get a Jeep Wrangler for your first car and you had written out the money that you had saved up and how we were going to match you. I've been lucky because I've always been good at writing those things out. It has served me well. Take a minute. Don't go in blind. Be reasoned and be reasonable. And don't let them see you sweat. If you're not doing well, take a minute, go back to the drawing board. If you're not doing well, say, I sense I'm not doing so well here. What is it that I could tell you that might influence your decision about how we're having this conversation? Line up the time in advance so that you know whatever it is you're going to be talking about has a certain parameter. If this isn't a good time to talk in the hallway about getting a promotion, let's have another time where we sit down and you and I are both ready to discuss it. Catching people unawares often doesn't work so well. Let he or she have an opportunity to be prepared for what it is that you're going to discuss so that you do get the answers you want. Nobody wants to be questioning, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better? Pick your battles. When you are making your list of items that you want to discuss, make a list of a couple throwaways too. I make sure that we always do this when we're negotiating divorce settlements. I say to my client, what are the two things that you just don't give a shit about at all? and you know he or she does. Put them on the list. We include them. It's not game playing. It's giving the other person an opportunity to win something. And if it's something that's important to them and it doesn't matter to you, put it out there. <laughs> Figure out in terms of most important to least important what you will take and what you won't. And maybe in your first offer, again, I don't love game playing. Usually I'll say, this is really my best offer. I'm putting it out there right now. 
do leave yourself a little bit of room if the person on the other side is someone you know is going to need to feel like he or she won. And again, know your audience. Sometimes you know that the person on the other side is going to be a martyr. I've given you everything, you know that, whatever, they need to feel like they lost. But for the most part, people need to feel like they walk out of a negotiation like they won or they didn't get too badly beaten. Allow that. Leave a few things on the table either to discuss next time or to give up. Now, what happens after you have your negotiation and you've had the conversation and things have gone your way, then what? And again, I hate to harp on this and be too much of a lawyer. Put it in writing. Please put it in writing. When it's in writing, then nobody can dispute it. Or please confirm if I've gotten anything wrong here, let me know. So many negotiations go well and then go poorly after everybody walks out of the room. Oftentimes people will tell you what you want to hear and then they don't follow through. Put it in writing. Please confirm your receipt of this. It doesn't always have to be signed. In law, it's not good until it's signed. But for a lot of the things that are discussed, people do things on a handshake basis still. That's okay, but it's okay to put it in writing. If they don't like it in writing or that offends them, there's something wrong. Nobody has ever said to me, I can't believe you put this in writing. What, don't you trust me? I trust you. I put everything in writing. That's how I am. I'm sorry if I offended you. Did, did you confirm the receipt? Yes? Okay, good. Thank you. Is your inbox a never-ending nightmare of new emails? Is each new email a new source of stress? You need to extinguish the dumpster fire that is your inbox. You need Mailman. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizes interruptions, and helps make your days calmer and more productive. Set VIPs as exceptions, screen new senders to block distractions, get emails delivered every few hours, not every few seconds. Stop stressing over email. Start using Mailman. Try Mailman for free for three weeks at mailmanhq.com slash girlboss. If you like it, use the code GIRLBOSS, all caps, to save 20% on your first year. Get the link in our show notes. Um, I've been talking for a while. I think most of you are here to talk about business things and employer things. Let me see a show of hands. Who actually, I won't make you get up yet, Megan, who actually is here to learn or discuss negotiation in the workplace? Okay. Who is here to learn or discuss negotiation in other interpersonal relationships? Oh, okay. Um, Heather, which interpersonal relationships? You don't have to be specific, but is it with significant others or family members? Um, I would say maybe even friends, mm -hmm. to be honest. And why is that difficult for us? Because we feel uncomfortable talking about things with friends? So again, communication, leading with your relationship to me is so important. It's so important to me. And that's why I'm bringing this up because it's not an easy thing to discuss. But I wanted to tell you this because sometimes when I get a text from you at three in the afternoon and I'm in the middle of a, of a courtroom experience or a spray tan or a conference, I can't write back to you right away. And I hope you understand that because sometimes I see it or sometimes I don't, but there's no way I could possibly write back. And I wanted to let you know that that's how I feel. How do you feel about it? And then they'll write back. They'd be hard-pressed to go, bitch, you need to write back to me right away, especially when you've been the one to bring it up and say, I really, I'm so appreciative when I see your text. My boyfriend has a big issue with me not texting him before I go to bed and first thing in the morning. I know that now. He told me that early on. We're coming up on five years. So whatever time it is, even if I know he's already asleep, before I go to bed and we're in different time zones, I text him, sweet dreams, done. 
And then in the morning, if he's woken up first, I'll get it from him. Otherwise, I usually wake up first because I wake up very early. I'll text him back. If you know that about someone, do it. Unless it bothers you. I mean, if that's something that really bothers you, you have a conversation. But it takes two seconds, so I don't mind doing it and it keeps him happy. If I don't, obviously something is terribly, terribly wrong. I've been abducted by aliens or I'm sleeping with somebody else. So it's such a small thing to do, and I know that. Put things in perspective, figure out what's important. Somebody else that raised their hand about some, another reason that they're here in terms of negotiations. Yes? Uh, it's a lens, so doing a business negotiation with someone who is a friend. Oh, very difficult, but doable. Um, I have actually three of my closest friends since I was, I, I grew up here and I went to elementary school here. Two of them went to elementary school with me and one of them went to high school and college with me. They are all working for me. One in my office, one as my personal assistant and one at It's Over Easy as our director of communications. And everyone says, why would you do that? You are asking for trouble. It is going to end so badly. Well, it's been seven or eight years, not the It's Over Easy because we just launched. Um, I think the reason that it works is because probably I talk too much, but I talk about everything. I say, God, it really bummed me out when you did that. Can you just maybe not do that again? Or wouldn't have been good if you did that? If your friend that you're doing business with is very sensitive about that at the beginning, it may not work out. But keeping the lines of communication open with friends, with business people, and with significant others will help that resentment from building up. The reason why people that don't, that our friends don't do business well together in many instances is they don't want to hurt their friends' feelings and say, I think this sucks. This doesn't look good at all. Let's go back and start it over again. Maybe you don't need to say it like that, but gee, wouldn't it be good if this? And you'll probably know right off the bat if he or she is someone with whom you can communicate and have a long-standing relationship. Like I said, I don't like to harp on it, but communicating is so super important because when you don't, things get pushed down. If you have an employer and he or she will not communicate with you about whatever it is you're asking to discuss, you may need to get out of there because if you can't have a conversation with that person, not only about a raise or a better office or, or a partnership, about anything, then and, and if it's a one-way street and he or she comes to you, excuse me, you and says, oh, we have to do this differently. You say, and guess what else we have to do differently? I'd like to be able to sit down once a month and have a conversation about whatever it is. Um, somebody else that has either one, business or, or interpersonal relationship. Yes? Question. When negotiating, is there a verbiage we should avoid using? Like, Motherfucker is not a good one to lead with, I find. <laughs> that just turns them right off at the beginning. Uh, see, it's really hard for me not to swear all the time, and, but I, but, um, I, no, I think, I think what you want to be able to say, and I've heard this a lot, I think you're going to be able to gauge it. People don't like to hear no. I hate hearing no. And I've said to my assistant before, don't tell me no. Lie to me and figure out a way to get through it. So people don't like to hear no. People don't like you to lead with the bad, lead with the good. Here's the things I'm really cool with in this negotiation. Here's the things that are problematic for me. What do we do about that? Um, in terms of other verbiage, again, it depends what you're discussing. Obviously, if you're having a, re a relationship conversation with somebody, there's things that you might want to avoid. Knowing your audience is so very important. If you've had an employer that's had a very bad experience with someone who, for example, has been in a lawsuit with them. I, we had somebody that came to our firm and she had gotten fired from her last job because they thought she was pregnant. She wasn't pregnant. That's illegal to do. She was thinking about suing them. And so she was very, very sensitive about that. 
And I said, well, the good news about this firm is that pretty much everybody that works here get preg gets pregnant at some point. So you don't have to worry about that here. But it was always like a point. I just knew that it was a sensitive thing for her. If you know your audience and you know that this is something that's going to be looked negatively upon, deal with that. I think, again, if you can go into it, even if you are the lower person on the totem pole, being the person that's kind of seen everything and looked at everything, I think you do really well. Yes? First of all, you have to get them to agree that they will communicate with you. Again, because that's the negotiation. So I would try to set a time. Can we set a time that we can sit down, we have some peace, we do this in a place where we, nobody's going to be interrupting, we don't have added aggravation. Um, I'll give you an example, which is many, many people call up and say, I already know what all the terms of my prenuptial agreement are going to be, Laura, but how do I sit down and tell him slash her that I want a prenuptial agreement? I say, make sure that you're going to a nice place where you're going to be able to hear each other. Definitely get wine <laughs> um, if you can, but not too much wine. In a business setting, that obviously doesn't work. And it, particularly if it's adversarial, I think, again, you lead with the good. Most of my negotiations in work are adversarial. So I'll give you a tip that happens a lot with me. I'm, I, they say, I'm very good in a room. So I go into the room, and particularly if I'm representing the guy, I will always say to him, I'm probably going to shit on you a little bit in this negotiation because I want your wife to understand that I'm a mom, I'm a woman, I've been there, you can be a little bit of a jerk sometimes and I want her to know that I see that, but I still believe it's in the best interest of your whole family to get through with it. And it's not being fake or phony. I really do understand those points. My kids go to their dad's houses, they never brush their teeth. It drives me crazy, but I'm not going to try to change custody. They like being at their dad's houses. They should be at their dad's houses. I make them brush their teeth more when they come home. So figure out, again, who your audience is. As I always go in, I say, hi, Myra, I'm Laura, I represent Steve. Da -da -da. One time, Myra looked right past me and looked at Steve and said, so Steve, are you sleeping with her too? So again, you diffuse. I mean, other women, other people would have said, what's wrong with this bitch? We're leaving. I said, oh, Myra, I am a lesbian and I would not sleep with Steve with your dick, okay? And she laughed. I said, that's not really true, but I, you know... But you kind of try to give some levity, break it up a little bit, if you can. Again, sometimes it's really, really difficult. And if you can't even get them to, to come to the table to negotiate in the first place, I would definitely set a time. They have to know what they're coming for. If they're totally stonewalling you, I'd pivot. I mean, I don't know how you get out of that situation. Oh, yes, we're the worst. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do I know him? Okay. Okay. Because I could find him. I will track him down. <laughs> do you guys have kids? We do. They're, they're in their 20s. Okay. Again, children and other, you know, middle people create a whole different... Yes. That is unfortunate. I think that's just to give a little plug to It's Over Easy. That's one of the things that we're trying to effectuate by having this online mediation process because after doing this for 25 years, I realized that there is an easier way to do it. I think most of the people in here are pretty much of the same generation. How many people's parents went through a divorce? Okay. How many people have been through a divorce themselves? Okay. How many people don't know anybody that have gotten divorced? <laughs> you don't know anybody? <laughs> Dina got just sitting right next to you. 
She wasn't paying attention. It's okay. All right, now you know. <laughs> in any event, one of the things about going through a negotiation in an interpersonal relationship is remembering this. It is a terrible terrible time if you're breaking up. Not just getting divorced, breaking up, moving out, ending, a, ending a, an engagement. It's awful. Your heart is broken. You, you don't know who you're going to go to the Memorial Day picnic with. If you've got children, you're not sure if they're going to hear their little feet every morning coming into your room. It's the worst, okay? However, we have now been through this, seen this enough times. This isn't 1979 with Kramer v. Kramer. We've all done this. When my older son, Luke, started kindergarten, his dad and I were the only two parents in the class that weren't living together. We always got along really well. Fortunately, that was great. He's now in seventh grade, and we're at 45% of the class. Now, maybe that's super sad, and maybe it's a commentary on society or whatever, but it's happening. So if it's happening, aren't we, this generation, equipped to deal with it in a better way? And I've had so many people say to me, if I had only known then what I know now, which may be your experience too, I would have done it differently. I would have spent less money. I would have had less aggravation. I would have waited and not talked to my kids about what their dad did to me, or I would have been a little bit more transparent about what was going on at the time. I would have gotten them in therapy. I wouldn't have put them in therapy. Whatever it is, Take a moment to think about what's going on at that time and then know, again, whether you've got two lawyers and you're going through a divorce or you're able to do mediation either with It's Over Easy, the online platform that is so wonderful and you can do it all in one step for very inexpensive, or <laughs> with a mediator that can kind of help you follow the ropes. Take the emotion out of the litigation or legal part of it work with a therapist or a group. We have so many tools these days to help us through breakups, so many. There are groups. If you can't afford a therapist, bless you, Jamie, by the hour, and you need to find a group at the local high school or college, even online group chats about this. People are talking about their feelings more, particularly in and around breakups. Heal your heart. Do what you need to do to be good to yourself, whether that's meditation, a spray tan, a trainer, a cleanse, whatever it is, and then take the business or legal or financial component out of it and do that in the most cost-effective way that you can. Then you save yourself. Other questions about, yes? Um, I'm raising my prices, so negotiating my client. Yes, okay, so is it one client or is it a group of clients? It's one, my largest client. Okay, so. We do this periodically at my firm every few years. And so my clients, generally, we represent for six to 18 months. Every January, we send out a letter, and if the rates of the attorneys have gone up, we let them know. So they get the letter, and they know. Sometimes they care, sometimes they don't. If you have one client that's your biggest client, I would send something out. I would tell them. Every time somebody's told me, hey, I know you've been a client of mine forever. I'm raising my rates. I've winced for a moment, and then I've said, I'm so glad for you. I'm really glad. You are worth it. You are, th the cost of living is going up. I've known you. You know me better. If it's a facialist, a trainer, a therapist... I want the best service from them, and if it costs them more money to improve their skills, go to seminars, again, even just have a nicer place to be when I'm at their office because their rents have gone up, it all trickles down. So I would write them a letter. 
I would then follow up and say, I just wanted to make sure you got the letter. I didn't want to try to sneak it in there because sometimes people don't read letters. And I would say, your business is so important to me. I've actually, if you're able to do this, I've actually lowered your, I've waited longer to raise the rate on you or I've raised yours less than other people unless that's going to create a problem with other clients. Give them something that they feel that they're getting as a benefit from being your biggest, most important client, but really be direct about it and know, and this will help when you write the letter and you're wording it, you deserve more. Why are you raising your rates? Because I've been lowballing myself for three years. Okay. So you came to the realization, hey, I'm better than I was three years ago. My expenses have gone up and I, everybody's been getting a really good deal on my services and now it's time. And you need to know that going into it. You need to really feel it going into it. I have a hard time. I charge $850 an hour. I mean, and, and people always say to me, oh, how do I keep the love alive in my relationship? And I'm like, did I, did I you hear that I'm a hot mess and I have two kids with two different men? I don't know. <laughs> I know how to get you out of a relationship. I know that. And I know that I'm good at my job, but I don't know that I'm better than the person that's charging $650 an hour. But I sure do know when I'm telling my clients that I do. I'm worth it. And again, if you don't feel that, I have great referrals for you. That's the other thing you can say to them. I think that really helps. If that doesn't work for you, I have a couple of other referrals and I'll help them get up to speed on your, I don't know what it is you do, your case, your company, whatever. That's the first thing. It's like the red velvet, velvet rope in front of a club. As soon as you tell them that you might be giving them to somebody else that's less expensive, they'd pay double for you. It's a weird psychology, but that's how it works. Be direct, be confident, you know why you're doing it. I mean, you came up with it right away because I've been lowballing myself for years. It's time. I... What? Okay, well, you know, sometimes we can be a little bit jerky about that stuff, but I think also because they probably have raised their prices periodically, their rates, they get it. And if they don't, good riddance. Yes. Boy, do I ever, because I have been practicing law with old, white, mostly Jewish men for 25 years, okay? And so a lot of them knew my dad when I started, and they'd say, oh, Laura, she's so cute, you know, whatever. And again, I, I, looked, I used to try to look much older. I'd put my hair in a bun, and I would wear glasses and whatever. Now I'm trying to look younger because I'm turning 50 next month, but besides that. So yes, you keep, maintain who you are, okay? You are a beautiful young woman. You are from France. You do have a different culture. However learn about theirs. I knew what these guys were doing. They were out playing golf half the week. So when we arrived at the council table to argue our case, they thought, oh, cute Laura Wasser, she doesn't, you know, well, she's no, and I knew my facts and I knew my law and whatever. They've been doing it for 25 years already at that point, but they weren't paying attention. They didn't know the intricacies of the law. Often I would blow them out of the water because I knew my audience. I respected them. I didn't clash with them. There's no point to that. There's no point to try to yell louder than them or out curse them when you're standing at the table or across from the table. I would, if it, the culture is so very different, like again, my dad was an old Jewish white guy, so I kind of knew, but if you're dealing with an entirely different culture, do you have translators or do most of them speak English? Okay. You, again, if you, knew, if you have somebody that you can befriend that can kind of give you some tips on it, otherwise, it's from what you observe. Like I said, be Sherlock Holmes and Sigmund Freud. You know they're going to be looking at you and thinking, oh, she's kind of hot. They're probably not even paying attention to what you're saying. What they're paying attention to is, you know, what you're wearing and how big your boobs look and what your hair is and all that. Use that. 
you can compliment them, but you can move forward and know what it is that you need to get out of this. You don't need to be disrespectful. Really, really use it. Know your audience and try to befriend them. Yes, I know you're older. You probably have so much more experience. It's, I'm not Japanese, so I don't know the culture, but I've really learned to speak Japanese because I want to be able to interact with you. I know how important that is. Know your audience. Look for those things that the person with whom you're negotiating will really find as a benefit to them and to you, and earn their respect if you can. That's a tough one, though.、Uh, yes, with the glasses. Can you have FaceTime with them? I mean, not even in person. Can you call? It's, I find it's so important to be able to look somebody in the eyes when you're talking to them. Maybe even more important for them to not be able to blow you off with a quick email, to really have a connection. Is there a possibility of a FaceTime or a Skype? I would, I would set something up if possible. If you can do it in person, all the better. But if they're in a different you know, location, set something up. Say, I really want to be able to have a face to face about this. Here are the items I want to discuss so they can't blow you off and then write you an email later saying, I don't think we can do this. And say, Can we set this time? I really want to be able to talk about it. I, again, if you can't, you can't. And then I would really, really make a very definitive bullet point list of what your concerns or what your wants are and send it and say, I'd really like an answer by this date if possible. Now, they may get angry that there was an arbitrary deadline. Make it long enough out that there shouldn't be a problem and nobody will be offended. And then see what happens. Yes, right in front of you. Yes, with the blazer. Get comfortable. I mean, again, I, I don't have a good way to tell you to get comfortable, except for I can't, you can't go to an outdoor bazaar and start negotiating, like to practice. But I really do think speaking more, talking about things more, as I said, that trick of you know, being quiet for 10 seconds and counting to yourself and letting there be the uncomfortable silence, it's just as uncomfortable for the other person. Picking your battles. Again, if you're, not, if you're a non confrontational person, you're probably not nitpicking little things all the time at all. So to say, listen, there's a few things I wanted to discuss with you. These have been going on for a while, and I wanted to be able to, I think, maybe starting the conversation with something in writing so that the person's prepared for them. If they know that you are uncomfortable and they know that you are non confrontational, they will often, unfortunately, use that to their advantage. Don't fold. Eye contact, be strong. Whatever it is that you're raising is an important thing to be raised, not just for you, but for them too. And so I really think you have to, you have to practice. You will feel probably really shitty after the first time it happens, but after the third time it happens, you'll feel better about it. If it's worth it to you to bring it up, especially you who doesn't like bringing things up, then it must be really important. And you have to remember that when you're asking for this audience. Yes. I get it because I've had, right, I've had cases where people will say to me, our, our retainer is a certain amount. And we always say, and it's in the retainer letter, once you've exceeded that amount, we bill you on a monthly basis. And obviously, in, in divorce law with litigation, sometimes we win and seldom we lose. But when we do lose, they'll come back and say, I've not only spent the retainer, but I've also paid you for an additional three months and we lost. And I, and I don't want to pay you for this next month. And I say, Very reasonably, 
I get that and I understand that you're upset, but that's the nature of litigation. One, that's why we tried to not have this situation happen. But here's all the factors that went into beyond the scope. Here's why it happened. We tried to reduce, reduce the risk and we're not able to do so either because of the client or because of just the facts. And what can I do to make it better for you? I will often give a client a discount if they're really unhappy because I want them to be happy, but I'll say, but it must be paid by the end of the month. So we'll reduce it by 5% if it's paid here. It's business. It's, again, making somebody feel like they got something, even if they didn't get something. The other thing I'll say, and again, I don't know if this applies to your situation, but we have attorneys who bill by the hour. We work really hard. You can see what it is that we bill on an hourly basis. These people worked really hard for you. It didn't turn out the way any of us thought it would, but we didn't do anything wrong. We told you every step of the way that this could happen. There was an unforeseeable event, or maybe it was foreseeable if it's litigation, you still pay for the services that were rendered, and so you must pay this amount. But maybe you build a little bit in there so that they feel like, okay, she did me a solid, she reduced it by a little bit. Does that help? Okay. Yes? Take yourself seriously first, absolutely. And again, if you take yourself seriously, 50% of the people who perceive you will also take you seriously. The other 50% are morons, and that's okay, because if they don't like how you look, or maybe they like how you look too much, or maybe they don't look like you're wearing, they are misperceiving you, and that's their bad. They are, again, like as I said with some of these men, oh, it's cute Laura Wasser, she's standing at the council table. Then you start arguing, and whether it's, if it's a jury that's involved or a judicial officer that's involved, they will usually go, wow, don't, if somebody's underestimating you, go with it. Let them underestimate you because you, let them underestimate you because you will knock their socks off. I wouldn't change how you look or how you act or how you speak to fit anybody else's perception of who you are. Now, at the same time, when you're representing a client, you want to be a certain way. For my first, I think, 15 years of practice, I would always wear either dark stockings or booties because I had a tattoo and I didn't want that to affect my client that I was representing and have somebody say, well, your lawyer obviously isn't taking this seriously. She has a tattoo. I feel at this point I've gained enough credibility in my practice and people have enough tattoos and it's pretty small that it doesn't matter anymore. But I always try to dress in a way that will respect the court, that will respect the people that I'm representing. But again, there's only so much you can do. You're an attractive, tall, blonde, young woman. You're not going to cut your hair off or, you know, do something different to your appearance for that. You look respectable, you dress the part, you go in there and you do your best. That will usually change people's perceptions. And like I said, if it doesn't, they're idiots. And then use that to your advantage. Yes. I think in that situation, you really, really want to define who you are going in and what you have to offer because that's going to be what that person or firm takes with them throughout the relationship. Here's who I am. I'm a badass. I should be paid this. Here's my experience. Here's what I bring to the table. You all need to know that. I know you are only planning on paying X. The reason you want to pay me X plus is because of this. And I'm telling you, I, you, I will not let you down. And if they say, well, we're just not willing to do that, how about if we start at this amount and I show you that by this point we will get there? Always be looking towards the future. Always give them a chance to show you that they're willing to up the ante. 
I think, and again, we're going to use the same generalizations that we've been using for years, but I definitely have seen it change. I've seen young men acting very differently from what the older men have kind of taught me over the years, and then the other way I've seen young women. But, but to speak to the generalizations that I know you're referring to, one thing that I think men have historically been better at is being very rational. And again, you know, sometimes if you need to cry a little bit, if it, it, again, probably not in the commercial litigation world, but you know, I've seen a couple of people tear up talking about custody cases, and if it works for our benefit, go ahead. Um, men can be very, very rational. You don't want to be humorless. You don't want to be too dry. But if you really are addressing the problems in terms of a rational approach, that helps. People say to women, don't get hysterical. And I think... She's not being hysteric at all. She's raised her voice. She's upset about this. Don't, don't fall into the traps that people then set for you because you, if somebody says to you, oh, you're getting hysterical, you say, gosh, I didn't think I was being hysterical at all. And you kind of counter that. I think that another difference is we sometimes are more reticent to kind of push forward, particularly with money things. I, I didn't realize this. I spoke um, a couple weeks ago at the Women in the World Summit um, that Tina Brown puts together in New York, and it was amazing. And if anybody ever has an opportunity to go, there were such amazing speakers. But I spoke on a panel about money, and I only can bring to the table what I know about money as an attorney and as a, an employer and as an employee and as a startup. But these women were like real money people. And they said that so often women are uncomfortable speaking about money that we kind of abdicate. We let our husbands take care of it. We let our business partners take care of it. We let our business managers take care of it. We don't pay attention to the money. And I think that is because we don't always like talking about money. You got to talk about money if you're negotiating in business. So start practicing in front of the mirror, to your cat, whatever it is. Talk about the money until you feel comfortable. It's not comfortable it doesn't ever really get super comfortable. It's definitely easier for me to talk about somebody else's money. We're talking about your own and what it is that you feel you should be entitled to. Get comfortable because as you said, if you're lowballing yourself, who loses? Just you. $150,000 Yeah, that's not good. That's, think about all the shoes you could buy with that. <laughs> yes. Yes, work it. Let them feel like they won. Start out with, oh, but this and that and the other. Know what the, what the breaking point's going to be. And then I say this all the time. We'll go into chambers or something like that, and I'll say to my client, let's let him feel like he won. He needs to feel like he's the winner. So take it from that. If you know your person that you're negotiating well enough to know that, that's half the battle. Let him think he's won, and then you get what you need. We hope Laura empowers you to ask for what you want and actually get it. Keep up with Laura on Instagram at Laura Wasser Official. Share your love for Girlboss Radio and this episode on Instagram, Insta Stories, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And as always, be sure to leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to sign up for our new daily email, The Girlboss Daily. Remember, never negotiate out of fear and never fear to negotiate. Girlboss.